If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, please send our co-director, Sarah Stenson, an email or visit us at lutherhouseofstudy.org. You can find Sarah's email in the show notes. Also, we would like to say a special thank you to Tom Simmons for sponsoring this week's episode. When Jesus starts coming, and he it's not intuitive for you to know mercy, you only think somebody's going to get revenge. That's intuitive for you. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. Luther House of Studies co-director, Dr. Chris Krogan, joins Adam Guthmiller and Carrie Jacobson to break down this week's lectionary text before it's preached on Sunday. In our conversation, we're dropped in a scene where those who heard Jesus' teachings were astounded by what they heard. Dr. Krogan explains that we, like the people who heard Jesus' teachings in this text, are astounded by Jesus' gospel because it's not intuitive. The gospel isn't intuitive because it doesn't come from within you. As you hear the team talk about, it's common today for people to think Jesus is helping them find their truth. But what Jesus is actually delivering is an external word of faith that reveals how God feels about you. And that feeling is God's mercy. Let's get to this week's text. Here's Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages, teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out, two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. And now on to this week's conversation.
Lord. Welcome back to Scripture First. We have Dr. Chris Krogan with us this week. Thanks for being here, Dr. Krogan. It's great to be back. So we are in the sixth chapter of Mark, uh, Dr. Krogan, right at the beginning. And I'm wondering if we can just get a little context as far as what's happening and then what's happening kind of in the beginning of our text. Yep. So uh, Jesus is out and about and he is now headed back to his hometown, as it says. But like we saw a few weeks ago when we were working in Mark, there are different power struggles throughout Mark. There are power struggles with sin, death, and the devil. But again, this one is actually a power struggle between the people who are um, thinking that their authority lies in their administration of the law, and they don't understand how or where Jesus gets his authority. How does he get his power? Because he's been out prior to this. He was eating with the tax collector named Levi, and he's associating with the unclean. And uh, so where does he get his power? Because most people think that power comes because you do what you're supposed to do, and that's how you're going to get your authority. That's how you're going to get your street cred or something like that. Whereas Jesus is, no, he's not doing that. He's doing deeds of power that they can't figure out what's the equation or what's the recipe that he got his power. Yeah, they kind of, they go through, I mean, they go through the list. Where did this man get all of this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? Uh, the deeds of power, and then they try and, uh, establish it through his uh, his family. Yeah. So yeah. So they're like, we know this family. I mean, we we grew up with this guy, <laughs> and uh, where did he get this wisdom? And, you know, he's a carpenter's son. Well, carpenters aren't usually known for their you know study that they've been, done a lot of scholarship or that they're sitting there <clears throat> reading. They're actually all using their hands. So it wasn't that he sat and read books the whole time. We watched him grow up. And so where did he get that wisdom? And then where did he get these deeds of power again? This family wasn't seen as gurus when it comes to healing or making people well. They weren't uh, um, practiced in the art of medicine of the time. So how does he do this stuff? It wasn't, it's not in the background. It's not in the family genetics or the family tree. He doesn't have the the credentials. No, he doesn't. Yeah. And then just taking it back a little bit, being the incredible sinner that I am, (laughs) if you read verse two and it says, on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Even literally that snippet, like I see where of of them being so caught up in the law, yep. I see why just automatically before even diving into the rest of this mm-hmm. gospel reading, why they think there's something wrong because Jesus is literally like he's literally breaking the laws right here. He's first of all, it's a Sunday and he's well, doing no, work. He's, he's supposed to be doing the teaching on the Sabbath. This is this is a teacher, so he would be in the synagogue. And he do is, they, but do they know he's a teacher? Well, they call him Rabbi, so okay. he he stands up and he has the. He has the ability cause okay. to, Cause to stand up and read the scrolls. Because I know other verses, people don't... It was when he was healing on the Sabbath and okay. doing stuff like that. So that's not allowed? No, but, but teaching, because what they're supposed to do is dwell in the scriptures. Okay, so right. it's not until later in this text that yeah. he starts doing the yeah. naughty stuff. Yep, exactly. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay. So, but they were still astounded at yes. his teaching. Right, because they're like, cause what he's doing is he's opening things up. And so you can, you can imagine that he's making connections in the scriptures that people can't refute. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, like this podcast does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, if we have Sarah or Dr. Paulson on, not usually with me, but anyway. Yeah. Or if Sarah's here correcting me and that and something like that, then we're like, <laughs> that gets connections. Funny. Yeah. But anyway, so they're making connections. He's making connections in the scriptures. And this is exactly why it's really fun to read Paul, because Paul is doing the same thing. He's taking all, remember, the scriptures that Jesus is teaching on 
is what we know, the Old Testament. There is no New Testament scripture. We're, we're reading it right there. So he's taking all the Old Testament, and he's laying it out there for them, and they're like, wow, we hadn't seen it that way before. We, hadn't, we didn't know that, and how is it that? And then he starts doing things to even further back up. He knows what he's talking about. So it is astounding when you get somebody draw connections. That's a very important piece, though, which is why it's even going to be later on when we talk about repent. But it's a very important piece. of this education Jesus is giving to people um, is intuitive. Mm -hmm. It has to be come from the outside. So when Jesus starts laying this out, like any good argument, you don't need to be convinced of anything if you already know it, mm -hmm. right? What do you, I guess, what do you mean by that? You don't need somebody to open your mind to a new thought because you already know it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is this is part of the challenge, and which is what's going on. Jesus is educating, so he's in there teaching. And one of the things I have always told my undergraduates when I, when I have a chance to teach them is I say, if you don't walk out of the classroom thinking something different today than what you thought before you walked in, I ripped you off. Hmm. Because you should have your mind altered somewhere you should have a new piece of information that wasn't yours otherwise you're paying me to tell you what you already know yeah that's the purpose of education i mean that's that's actually counterintuitive to what the modern purpose of education is exactly because usually the modern purpose is that you're just the facilitator uh birthing allow, yeah birthing yeah. or allowing the the individual self then to find yeah. something within themselves you're Whereas you're what's already inside what's already yeah. inside of you and so what you're doing is you're you're kind of helping them explore that's the creative writing process right you know just <laughs> let them go out and write whatever they want and they'll come to their own truth well this yeah. is this is not education and this is not what Jesus was doing Jesus was as we've talked about in the past apocalypsing them he was encountering them with something new which when that happens you are astounded you hear it and you're like wow this is this is earth shattering this is groundbreaking it doesn't necessarily mean it brought faith though but it did wake them up and make them think hmm this is interesting so when you say it's 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 not intuitive right does that mean I can't can't be out in nature hiking in the mountains and exactly. all of a sudden come to faith because of I can see God's God's beauty and God's glory? And so this is exactly what Paul's saying in Romans one: is everyone knows there's a God because you look up into the mountains, but you won't have faith that that God is for you. So one of my my because my, you don't hear it in your ear, right? Well, but also it's the natural intuitive stuff. My doctor father, James Kittleson, had a nice little story he talked about one time was he was out um, in a park and there was a lady who was gushing over this beautiful little red bird up in the tree. And she thought, oh, that look at the color in that bird. It is so, it really makes me recognize that God exists. Because what beautiful creation. And just as she's finishing her, oh, no. boom, a hawk comes down. <laughs> and all Stop. you have to see is no, feathers. No, you're making this up. All you see is feathers. But that is the intuitive notion of God. That is to say, we do know <laughs> that this so is the depressing. way it works. Yeah, I so, didn't create the bird. Yeah, but, but so, so Paul says that. <laughs> Paul says this in Romans 1. Dogs. He says, they knew God. Bird is pretty. <laughs> Bird is pretty. Poof. <laughs> and now Bird it's is dead. dead. <laughs> yep. They knew God, but they did not honor God. They didn't give God credit that he actually is for them. Yeah. And so that's the difference there, which is when Jesus starts coming and he it's not intuitive 
for you to know mercy. You only think somebody's going to get revenge. Mm-hmm. That's intuitive for you. Mm-hmm. Is you know mm-hmm. when you get punched, look out, put your fists up because you're going to get punched back. It's intuitive. Yeah, because I'm going to give revenge. Sinners. Yeah, like exactly. sin is intuitive. Sin is intuitive. Yep, it's yeah, instinctual. That's a good point. Self-preservation yep. is instinct. Mm-hmm. To you hurt me, I hurt mercy, you, eye for an eye. Right. To receive mercy or to give mercy is not intuitive. So that's why it's such an astounding thing for Jesus to be teaching his mercy now. So they, they go through all these questions, and uh, there's kind of a turn. They say, and they took offense at him. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of talked about why it is uh, they're taking offense, but can you... Uh, explain that uh, maybe in a more yeah. specific way. Well, because again, and it's part of what we were just talking about, is when you take offense at somebody, it's because they're undoing uh, your house of cards just got undone. Yeah. So there's a power stru- struggle again. There's a structure here. And the, the, you know that because they're saying deeds of power and they're saying authority. Where does it get this authority? All that kind of stuff. So you know there's kind of this power struggle between the, the teachers of the synagogue and Jesus. And they take offense at him when they when what they thought was reality and the way their system works gets challenged. This is why the Pope had a, such a tr- trouble with Luther. When Luther actually takes the 95 Theses and he literally pulls out the one card that makes the whole stack fall. And right there then, there's no going back. This is what Jesus is doing. As he's unpacked, you, you're offended because your world just got deconstructed, demolished by this man which again sometimes goes against the common understanding of what <clears throat> christ is doing how yeah. i mean and even if you hear talks about how do we get more people in the church right uh you're always seeking to make god attractive in some way or yep. uh oh absolutely i mean yeah. in, in some in some some instances yeah. yeah well like even at you know lutheran churches we to our visitors, we hand out a little like party favor, a little yeah. something to the family. Yeah, well, you're because yeah. what you're doing is you're catering to their instinctual mm-hmm. needs. Yeah, which is you know serve me. That's our instinct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Free food. Yeah, exactly. I'm down. <laughs> yep. So you try to sell your institution. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so moving on. Um, <clears throat> In verse four, it says, then Jesus said to them, prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. So is there a reason why he purposefully uses the word prophet here? Yep. So um, so what Jesus is saying there is all prophets are valued except amongst those that um, knew him or grew up with, with him or knew them in the law. Because again, this is part of that family in the hometown, your kin, your own house. Everybody knows how bad you are yeah. <laughs> at the law, right? And, and, and everybody knows, but also if you are the head of the household, they know you are only Moses. They're never going to see you as, you know, this really kind, gentle, because you have to lay down the law. Yeah. So, so prophets now, this is the interesting thing, is this word prophet. A lot of people think of a prophet as someone who's going to call out your bad behavior. This is true. This is true. A prophet calls out sin. You people did this. This is what's happening and why it's happening to you. But then people think the prophetic voice is to try to offer a corrective for that sin so that you remain in the law at that point in time. And so people will say, that's very prophetic or um, use your prophetic voice or something like that, which means give people a direction of how to get from 
vice to virtue, Mm -hmm. how to not have that bad thing happen to you again. Mm -hmm. This is not at all what the prophets are doing in the Old Testament. What the prophets are doing, they're doing exactly what we've talked about time and again. You name, you use the law to name sin, and then you say, God is going to deal with it through absolution, and it's going to be through Christ and his mercy, which is why prophets outside of their hometown can are, are welcomed and in fact appreciated given honor because they're actually pronouncing mercy not saying be better at the law whereas people that are hurt and live with the prophet they've always thought of as the law alone is that where I've heard that for the children of preachers I know preachers have said where like they try to have their children go to sometimes like other churches or even like hear different pastors because when they're up at the pulpit, it's hard for their kids and their family to get the gospel because yeah. they're used to having that. Having be, be told what time they have to go to bed. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> having the parent laid down the law. Be, be, be quiet. For them. Be quiet. Sit down. You can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And now they're like, you're forgiven. You, you have to go like, to church. Oh. Say, I don't want to go to church. You don't have an option. Yeah. Don't, I mean, my kids even, which I haven't been active in a parish for 20 some years now, but even in my role, um, they they have a tougher time hearing it from me because they I've been Moses to them. Yeah. Yep. And so that's just the so way it is. that's why people say like the parents are the law, grandparents are the gospel <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> no, grandparents are the soft law. They're the cushy law. They're the ones that went, you know, that really hard law drove the kids away. So I'll try to attract the grandkids now. <laughs> Give them yeah. the soft Here's law. the law, but with a brownie. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, that helps things. Um, okay, so moving on. It says, and he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. Yep. So I feel like that's pretty momentous so he, for him saying that he could do no deed of power, yet right? he cured people. They had, because, well, what he did was it, basically he was able to give them a little fix to their physical ill. Okay. You know, you could give him a little bit of, okay, I'll help you out here, you know, get rid of your arthritis maybe or something like that, or stand up and walk, you know, minor things like that, right? Yeah, obviously. But he couldn't do a deed of power, which is the authority. And remember, Jesus' authority is a creative power of taking old and making it new. Mm -hmm. That is the forgiveness of sin. And again, they didn't see him as able to provide mercy as able to speak in absolution to them. So they, which is why at the end, they, he said, or at the end of this verse six, unbelief, they did not trust Jesus's words. And so therefore it's kind of like, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that uh, the unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because yeah. you don't believe this Holy Spirit actually can forgive sin. So therefore you're stuck in your sin. The same thing, they were stuck in the law here. There was no taking the old and making it new with his authority, his authoring their lives. What I find interesting in Jesus' response to that is he says, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Yep. How was Jesus amazed at their unbelief? He obviously knows that the way you reach belief or faith is from himself yep. or from the Holy Spirit delivering faith to the person. So 
he knows that that hasn't happened. Yeah. So why is he amazed? Yeah, I, that, that one has always puzzled me a little bit too because it is literally, if you read in the Greek, it is that he's kind of like, yeah, I, I don't get it either kind of thing. I mean, there is this amazement like, whoa, holy cow. <laughs> um, so that one is one I have never understood how <laughs> Jesus can be amazed. Are you kidding me? No, I'm serious. So if we legitimately did a stump the pastor, we'd be able to stump you the, for the first time in our lives. This would be one of those words I'd be like, I don't know. All I know is the text says, the text says. Mark 6.6. 6. Yeah. <laughs> Asking Mark 6.6 6 in the word amazed. Yeah. Why was he amazed at their unbelief? Well, we'll have Paulson on and we'll see what he says. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yep, that's, that's the next one. You can, oh my goodness. You can ask him, what happened in Mark 6.6 6 when Jesus is amazed? He, I mean, what I think I remember him saying is that it's exactly, I mean, it's, it's what the text says. He was quite amazed that the Holy Spirit wasn't there. How is it that? Yeah, that's about that's, all. That's it, the only uh, thing you can really say. Yeah. I mean, it is what the text says. Yep, it just, yeah. He's as dumbfounded as you are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, yeah. he's stumped. So stumped Jesus even. <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, continues to go along. Uh, it says in verse 7, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. Uh, and then gave them authority yep. over the unclean spirits. So is this the same authority that he, uh, he has? Yep. It's the exact same word. And it, it, so what he's doing is he's actually given them now the word or the sermon to speak that takes old and makes it new, that takes that which is a dead and makes it alive, that takes that which is sin and forgives it. And so that is the creative authoring. And that's how it is over unclean spirits, because remember, unclean spirits create unbelief. Mm-hmm. So the disciples are out there, and they're starting to preach sermons that make faith. And that's what's happening there. And how do you make faith? You give a promise. And what's the promise? Christ forgives your sin. He's for you. And so, so that's how it starts to happen. So is that the authority he's giving them? Yes. So that's how we, we as individuals can also we have that same get authority. that authority? Yep. And, and the piece that is happening here is... They are, at this point, apostles. They are apostolic. They are actually speaking for Christ in, in Christ's voice with this. Yep. And so when you're apostolic, you actually have a creative voice. Is there anything, too, that he sent them out two by two? I've heard people like preach on this, that two on, like having another, a partner with you is, is imperative in, in this preaching. Is there anything Chris significant? Yeah, no, I, I don't know specifically um, why it's a two-by-two. Two. It doesn't say in the text. I don't, I don't, maybe there's something historical that has that, but that's not one that I would. Couldn't you just make the argument that they needed to hear the absolution from someone? You could. You could. I mean, it's I mean, not there. But there there's a lot of hypotheticals you go yeah, there. That, yeah. You know, somebody needs to be preaching while somebody's playing the piano. I don't know. So <laughs> Good cap. <laughs> one person gets them with the law, and the other one, you know, preaches the gospel. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Turns the pages on there. <laughs> I've done that before. Yeah, and then he, get, I mean, he gives some, uh, <laughs> some uh, it, it seems... <clears throat> more than practical advice whenever you enter a house stay there until you leave the place if any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them yeah uh how do we hear this today or what can we take from from this today yeah so um if their ears are stopped yeah right and this shaking off your dust is, a, is actually a, a Jewish thing that happened when they would cross from a Gentile territory into, a, into Israel again. They didn't want 
unclean stuff. So they would literally shake the dust off their feet. So this is a kind of a symbol of you're not righteous, meaning God does not honor you. God is not for you. So you shake off the dust. That So it's a symbolic gesture that says you do not have faith in God. And that is when we say testimony, it's a, that's, that's kind of your way of showing everybody else these people are damned. Mm-hmm. And they're they're done. Game set and match. It's over for them, because they don't hear. They can't hear. And what don't they hear again? The promise. They don't hear Christ for them. And so this is this is what often happens in Mark. Ears get stopped, mm-hmm. and it's not a fun thing. But Jesus says this is going to happen, which is a very important thing. One of the things that a lot of people think is they think they can convince somebody into faith. Um, no, you're not going to convince anybody of faith. You preach it, and then the Holy Spirit does its work. But if the Holy Spirit's not there doing the work, then you just have to move on. It's a, it's, especially as a pastor, that's one of the hardest things to ever do, is to walk out of a house and know, I don't think anything happened there. Mm-hmm. That's not what happened. But that's uh, important to unpack, because the text actually says they refuse to hear you. Yep. And in English, you think that refuses some sort of active... On that thing you choose to yeah. they're not passive in that yeah, yeah. yep they, and so but they will when when somebody can't hear you and they, they they will become obstinate they will become just downright i know i heard what you say i don't believe it and they'll just be like you know so don't hang around you're not gonna okay don't waste so your time i don't mean to like be a debbie downer but yep. like where's the gospel like where what should like where where is it? Yep. So the gospel in this is Jesus sends out his apostles to do what? It's in verse twelve. Proclaim a repentance. And so he actually doles out authority to anybody who has ears to hear and believes. And then you get to do this again. So and this is this is why it's a power struggle here. And the authority is God says do and when you do what he says, you plagiarize Jesus, something's going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen is people are going to be repented. That is to say, they're going to recognize sin is not their identity. They're not going to be thinking selfishly. They're mm-hmm. not going to be wishing for things. They're going to be free. That's what being repented is. You don't have to chase after becoming something you're not or trying to move yourself from vice to virtue. That's the beautiful thing, is when you get an apostle coming in and proclaiming to you, which all of us have apostolic authority in our baptism to do this. When you get that apostle, it's going to repent you. Demons are going to be cast out. Unbelief is going to be removed. And now anointing with oil, many who are sick, cured them. The interesting thing here is they're not doing miracles. Okay? This is not a miraculous cure. This is the, the Greek word is therapy. They actually serve their physical needs. Mm-hmm. They gave them therapy. Mm-hmm. And so so they went in and they just met the people's needs after they preached to them, freed them, and gave them their daily bread, cast out the unbelief, and then they met their physical needs. And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Dr. Chris Krogan for teaching us that God's mercy isn't intuitive you can't convince someone into faith. What we're commanded to do is use the same words Christ spoke. 
to his disciples and let the Holy Spirit deliver faith. Preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins and watch the incredible results unfold. As you heard at the beginning of the episode, if you or your congregation is interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, we'd appreciate it if you'd connect with our co-director, Sarah Stenson, by sending her an email at sstenson at augie.edu. That's S-S-T-E-N-S-O-N at A-U-G-I-E dot E-D-U. You can find her email in the show notes or find more information at lutherhouseofstudy.org. Additionally, if you'd like to support us in a different way, we'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating or follow our Facebook page at Luther House of Study. We'd appreciate it if you drop us a comment on one of our posts about what you found interesting, helpful, or noteworthy about this week's episode. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, the gospel comes from outside you. We'll see you next time on Scripture First.